Welcome back, everybody, to the 10th episode of the Three Point Threat Podcast. I am your host, Jared Woodcox. Excited to be here for the 10th show. Uh, can't believe we're already this far in, but I know that we're going to have a lot of good content ahead. Uh, this is just the beginning, so hope you'll stay tuned. Um, also, before we begin, wanted to remind everybody, make sure that you subscribe to the Three Point Threat Podcast on iTunes. Um, you can now find us on there. Also, make sure you're following us on Twitter. Um, that handle is at 3PThreatPodcast. Um, that way you won't miss a show and you'll be able to stay up to speed on everything. Really looking forward to the show today. My JNotes colleague is going to be joining me. His name is John Kiefer. And for point number one, John and I are going to talk a little bit about, you know, the different Utah Jazz lineups, um, you know, who we think are going to be the starters, what their rotations will look like. That'll be our first point. For point number two, we want to talk about the Utah Jazz schedule that obviously just came out this week and kind of our impressions of it. Then for our third and final point, we want to go into the player or players that we really think are going to have a breakout this season for the Jazz. Who can we expect to really take the leap to the next level? So without further ado, let's jump into point number one, where I'll also welcome my JNotes colleague, John Kiefer, to the show. Point one. All right, as we get started here, I want to welcome my JNotes.com colleague, John Kiefer, to the show. John, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Jared. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Glad that you could glad that you could join us today. Um, you know, for the first yeah, for the first point, John. You know, I wanted to talk about something you actually recently wrote about it on JNotes.com, and want to talk a little bit about Utah Jazz lineups next year. I liked your article about it, how you talked kind of about a defensive lineup, an offensive lineup, the international men of mystery lineup. <laughs> um, and I wanted to ask you, you know, what do you think the Jazz's starting lineup should be next year? Uh, and and kind of playing off that, what do you think it's actually going to be? Kind of two-part question there. What do you think about their starting lineup? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about the Jazz right now is we don't necessarily have the star power of some of the other teams in the league, but when you just look at our depth, we might have the deepest team in the league, and it makes it fun to just play around with some of the different lineups that they could run out there. To start the games, though, I think there's four clear-cut starters. There's just not really much of a question about it. Rudy Gobert... Derek Favors, Rodney Hood, and Ricky Rubio. Um, with Gordon Hayward leaving, though, I think that left us a little bit of a void at the small forward position. Yeah. Without a, without a doubt, I think most people think it's going to be Joe Ingles, and I don't think there's much of an argument for him not to be in there. He's a great player. He's a fan favorite. He's very effective. Um, from what I've looked at, though, I like the idea of starting Pablo Cephalosha. I think the concern most Jazz fans have is they don't know him because he just got signed with us. Yeah. And all they do is look at his age. He's 33. He's not a guy who puts up big, flashy numbers. Um, but hey, neither is Joe Ingles. Um, the, the effective thing with Tabo is he's an incredible defensive player. Uh, he's one of the top defensive wings in the league. Um, I was looking at the analytics behind it, and he's top 20 in almost every defensive category, whether it's defensive win shares, defensive box score plus minus, uh, just steals per game, and that's a big thing that the Jazz was lacking last year was creating turnovers. Yeah. Um, but then also just roster balance. Um, allowing Pablo Cephalosha to start means that we have better players coming off our bench. I, I do think Joe Ingles is a better player, um, but I just see so many benefits of him coming off the bench, providing more shooting, providing more balance between our starters and our bench unit as far as scoring goes. And then also, if, if Donovan Mitchell and Dante Exum are going to be our primary backup guards, 
I love them both. I think they're the future of our franchise and our team at the guard positions. But one of them's a rookie, and the other hasn't really proven himself as far as decision-making. I would rather pair them with Joe Ingles, someone who can play spot minutes at the point guard and distribute the ball, than a newcomer in Pablo Cephalosha who really doesn't have those strengths of being able to be a ball handler and distributor. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. You know, you had a really good piece on the jnotes.com where you kind of backed up your case for bringing Joe Ingles off the bench. And there are a lot of things there that I really liked. You know, I do agree with you that in some ways it'd be nice to have him as a reliable piece, you know, in that second unit um, to bring some scoring punch there. Um, the one thing about Ingles, too, is that, you know, he's always shown a willingness to come off the bench. For you know, most of his career, he has come off the bench and he's been good in that role. Kind of, it was kind of Rodney Hood's decline um, or struggles with the injury last year, I guess you could say, that kind of led to to excuse me, Ingles getting the start. But I think there's a lot of arguments there to be had that Ingles does come off the bench and does fit with them. Um, I do think that he may start out the year, or he probably will start out the year as the starter, especially you know, given the big paycheck that he got. But I'm not going to put it past Quinn Snyder either to see the things that you've brought up, John, and really recognize that, you know what, let's mix things up. Let's have Cephalosha start instead. Let's have him in as a good defender to lock up opposing team's best player right off the bat, which you brought up in your piece. Um, and then we can bring in Ingles later on, who's another good defender, but not quite to the level of Cephalosha, but can help the bench score more. So there's a lot of things there. Don't you agree? Yeah, I do. And I, I actually had someone point that out to me. They they made the point, we didn't pay Joe Ingles $52 million to come off the bench. And I was like, actually, we did. Um, our whole plan was he was going to be our sixth man and Hayward would start. And just yeah. because Hayward's not there, I don't think it's an obvious choice to just put him in the starting lineup. And the biggest point you made, Joe Ingles had a career year last year. He hadn't really reached the numbers he put up prior. But I think he got those numbers because he came off the bench. He was in a situation where he was mainly paired up against other bench players, which played to his strong suits and allowed him to flourish. And when he was starting, he had Gordon Hayward next to him, who drew all the attention and allowed him to get wide open spot up threes, which led to I mean, the third or fourth best three-point percentage in the league. Um, so I just think there's a lot of pros for him starting, it, it, or for him coming off the bench. Um, if he did start at the start of the season, I wouldn't at all be surprised, though. And Quinn Snyder is so much smarter than any of us that I'm sure he would have his reasoning for it. Yeah, I agree. The one thing I would say that, you know, a part of whether he starts or not may depend, too, on um, not just how he plays, but also, you know, how Rodney Hood can can play as, as a good three-point shooter stretching the floor. Because if Hood is struggling to find a shot from deep, you know, we know that Rubio is not exactly a knockdown three-point shooter, at least he hasn't been yet. Then the Jazz may feel like, well, we have to have Ingles in there with that starting group just so that we have someone guaranteed to hit the three. Um, but if if Hood can be that guy, um, then maybe it's more that, you know, we can bring Ingles off the bench to be to stretch the floor there too. So I don't know. I, I think even if Ingles does come off the bench, he may log more minutes than Cephalosha. That's the thing. Just because you don't start doesn't mean you're going to log the most minutes. A lot of teams have done that where they bring a guy off the bench that's logging more minutes than the starters. But like you said, it's going to be all about fit, and so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, that, that was actually one of the things I did. Is I went over the lineup that we have and kind of the 10 people who are going to essentially log the most minutes. Mm-hmm. And I broke down how many minutes I think they're going to get. Um, I do have Joe Ingles coming off the bench, but I have him playing about 26 minutes a game and Cephalosha playing 20. Um, 
So I do think Cephalo starts, but it's not that I think he should get more minutes. I think Ingles definitely is going to have more minutes by the end of the year. And I think Ingles is going to finish games. I don't think Cephalo is a finisher. I think it's definitely Ingles. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's good for Sevaloche to be able to, block, to lock guys up defensively, but at the end of the game, you'll need someone. I mean, Ingles can still be great on defense, but he can also be more reliable deep threat. So, yeah, I agree with you there. You know, you kind of mentioned breaking up the minutes and, and you know, kind of the 10 guys that we get the most minutes. With that, walk me through kind of what do you think is going to be the Jazz's, you know, roughly their 10-man lineup. You know, maybe they'll play 11 per night, but what do you think is going to be kind of the guys that, that, that do play every night and the guys that, you know, maybe they're kind of hit and miss? What do you think their kind of rough 10-man lineup looks like? Yeah, I think this was harder than it should have been just because we have such a deep team. I mean, most teams, you get to player number 9 and 10 and they're playing barely any minutes. But yep. we have cases for our 11 and 12 guy to get significant playing time. But uh, the main starters, obviously, Gobert, Derek Favors, Rodney Hood, Ricky Rubio. I think each of those are going to get about 30 minutes a night. Um, I put Gobert about 35 minutes a night leading the way. Um, and then the main backup, so Cephalosha at the three, and Ingles backing him up. But as far as big minutes, I think Rudy Gobert is our primary big with Derek Favors. And then the main backup bigs are going to be Jonas Jurepko, and Joe Johnson. I don't think Joe Johnson is going to play a lot of minutes at the small forward position this year. Mm-hmm. I think we saw it in the playoffs that he's to the point with the way the league has gone where he's better suited to play kind of a stretch forward, power forward position. Yeah. Um, so I think he logs more minutes as a power forward. Uh, the main wings, Joe Ingles, Rodney Hood, Thomas um, Epilosha, and then Donovan Mitchell. I think Mitchell is going to play about 20 minutes a night even as a rookie. I think he, he proved enough to me in summer league that he's going to demand minutes with his play, and especially with his ability to lock down people defensively and what he showed me as just a basic spot-up three-point shooter. Uh, I like his ability to create in the future off the dribble and to get his own shot, um, but as a rookie, I think he can contribute more just as a spot-up shooter. Um, and then as our guards, just Ricky Rubio is probably going to get about 30 minutes a night, and I think Dante Exum is our main backup with about 20 minutes a night. Um, the hardest omissions and the hardest people for me were, I don't, I really like Alec Burks. I think he's a great player, and you actually just wrote a piece uh, about Alec Burks and the best-case, worst-case scenario. Yeah. Um, and I read that, and I was watching some of the highlights that you had in that piece. I forgot how fun he is to watch. I love Alec Burks. Like, he's just so enjoyable to watch, just some of the crazy shots and finishes he has. But we saw last year when he got minutes, he wasn't making the shots like he used to. He was yeah. still able to get to the basket, but he wasn't finishing like yep. he used to. And I mean, maybe it was because he wasn't getting the playing time or maybe because he wasn't fully healthy. If he is fully healthy, though, it's going to be interesting to me to see how he factors into the rotation and who he takes minutes away from. Um, I think he could push Rodney Hood. I think he could push Ricky Rubio. I think he could push Donovan Mitchell for playing time. Um, I'd love to see the Jazz go back to that three-wing lineup that they did a couple years ago where they had Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, and Gordon Hayward. And maybe they could throw out Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, and Joe Ingles. I think that would be a really fun lineup. Um, But it's all going to depend on how he plays and if he's really fully recovered and has the confidence to to play like he did three years ago when he was averaging 14 points a game. Yeah, definitely. I think that Burks is one of the more interesting cases because, 
you know, you kind of have a catch-22 situation with him that if he plays well, you got to figure out whose minutes is he taking and how are you going to get him in. But obviously, you want him to play well because, as you said, John, he was such a good player before. I mean, he's such a promising player before, maybe a better way to put it. Such a good finisher. But it was just the opposite last year where he didn't really contribute. So it'll be so interesting to see how he pans out. Um, I agree that, you know, if he is back at that level where we thought he could get to, I mean, he could very well be better than Rodney Hood, who everyone is thinking is going to be our new go-to guy as far as a playmaker. So seeing what Burks does is going to be interesting. Yeah, I think the hope is Rodney Hood is better because he's Mm -hmm. more versatile. He can hit the three-point shot at a better rate. Like, he just seems like Rodney Hood should have a better time being that 20-point scorer game that we want him to be than Alec Burks. Yeah. So if Alec Burks ends up pushing Rodney Hood and taking playing time away from him because Rodney Hood isn't stepping up, I think we're going to have more to worry about next year. Um, But hopefully Alec Burks plays well because, I mean, looking at our team, we definitely need the help offensively. And he's a guy offensively who can create his own shot and get us baskets when we need it, especially in late shot clock situations. Yeah, definitely. What is your take on uh, Epe Udo? Do you think he's going to see the court much? Is he going to be kind of a Jeff Withy every once in a while kind of guy who plays? Or do you think he's going to be a pretty consistent backup? Um, I think it depends on Derek Favors. If Favors is completely healthy and can play 30 minutes a night, I don't think we have a ton of need for him. Okay. Um, but I was looking I was looking at his numbers, though, and he's a pretty good guy. I looked at just his past stats, and he only ever averaged about 16 minutes a game um, throughout his career. But in those 16 minutes a game, every year he was averaging about one and a half blocks. So, I mean, a block and a half in 16 minutes, like, that's pretty impressive. And I think we would have need for someone like him. Um, but I do think he's probably going to fill that Jeff Withy role where, I mean, Jeff Withy last year played 51 games, averaged about eight and a half minutes. I mean, he didn't have a huge impact unless we really needed him to. Yeah. Um, but I do think he's going to be a guy who's going to play spot minutes and he's going to contribute off the bench when we need him. But I don't think he's going to play every game. I don't really think we have need for him to play every game. Yeah, you know, I think that Udo's going to be... Actually, I think it will be an improvement over Withy. I think he is a pretty solid rim protector. Um, but like you said, I think Favors is still going to get a lot of time at that backup center position just because he's more more proven, I guess you could say. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how, though, with like um, Jarebko and Udo and with um, Johnson obviously taking time at the four spot. Just that backup kind of um, big man rotation is going to be really fun to watch. Going to be cool to see who earns yeah. those minutes and everything. You know, in a small lineup, we could actually see Jarebko logging some time kind of as a you know a small ball five. It's going to be really cool to see how Quinn Snyder puts those rotations together. Yeah, I think that would be a really intriguing lineup. Is we could go with a straight wing lineup with Jarebko at the five where we have something like Donovan Mitchell at the point guard, Rodney Hood at the two, Joe Ingles at the three, Joe Johnson at the four, and then Jonas Drebko at the five. I mean, that's just, that would stretch the floor so much. It would be hard for teams to guard that type of offense. Definitely. And on the flip side of that, too, we could also have one where it's, you know, obviously, you no know, Favors and Gobert are kind of a daunting uh, two towers kind of defensive approach. You could have, you know, Udo in there and Favor or Favors in there. You could do some things too to be more defensive as well. So it's going to be cool to see what all they do. You know, I do think that, um, especially if Mitchell and Exum step up, I do think Neto's going to be kind of the odd man out this year. Um, obviously, we know that one person has to be cut too. So it'll be, it'll be, I don't know, it's going to be crazy to see who that ends up being. Yeah, I think Neto's going to probably be similar to last year where 
I mean, he, he's still going to get playing time, I think, but it's only going to be maybe half the games and probably not more than 10 minutes a game. Which is, I mean, it's kind of unfortunate. I, every time I see Neto get in the game, I get excited because he's guaranteed to play so hard. He always gets one or two steals or deflections in the short time he plays because he just out-hustles people. So, but, I mean, athletically, he's just kind of limited and he's not quite there with Exum and Donovan Mitchell. So. Yeah, I agree. I don't think, I don't, in the end, I don't think he'll be the one getting cut, though. I think he's going to be our third guard. I think he's pretty safe as far as making the team. I think... Joel Ballenboy is the guy I'm worried about as far as who might get cut. He didn't really show out in the summer league. Um, and I don't know. If, if he doesn't show improvement with the amount of bigs we have, it's going to be hard to keep him on the roster. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm a little nervous about it because I think, you know, I think all of us like Ballenboy, especially with his, you know, his Weber State tie and everything. But you're right. I mean, oh, yeah. I, don't, I know Weber State. I love the guy. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I want the best for him. Yeah, I don't think the Jazz would have signed Royce O'Neal unless they had, you know, the intention to keep him on board. I mean, maybe they're just using him to put pressure on the other guys. But yeah, I worry about Ballin Boy too. Um, I hope that he can kind of prove himself in training camp and and everything. But that's, I agree. That's the one I'm a little nervous about. Um, the next question I want to ask you, though, John, you know, we talked a little bit about it with maybe, you know, Cephalosha and Ingles. There's a change in the starting lineup there. But do you foresee anybody else, you know, starting here on the bench and then maybe part of the way through the season or towards the end of the year uh, moving into that starting role? Do you see anybody that could potentially do that for the Jazz this year? Yeah, I think the person who has the best chance of doing that is going to be Donovan Mitchell. I uh, really like Donovan Mitchell. I think we all do. We all have high hopes for him, especially – with the departure of Gordon Hayward, he's kind of the guy who came in and we, we view him as that next franchise cornerstone, someone who can be a star defensively but also looks like he's capable of putting up 20 points a game. Um, I think it will depend on how he plays early on. If he shows that he can be an elite defensive player, he can get a couple steals a game and lock down anywhere from the point guard at the small forward position, but offensively can also hit the three and maybe... I'd like to see about 37, 38%, but then also create his own shot off the dribble. It's going to be hard to keep him out of the starting lineup. And I like seeing him come in as our shooting guard. So keep Rookie Rubio as our point guard, have him slide into the two, and then Ronnie Hood, 6'8", he can easily slide over to that other wing position and be our small forward. And I like that lineup defensively and offensively. I think it would be very hard for teams to handle. Yeah, I agree. So Donovan Mitchell was kind of my pick for this too, that I think that if he shows improvement, I mean, we're going to want to keep him developing. And if he can really be a force, there's no reason why he couldn't move into that starting lineup. I actually had um, Ryan Aston from the JNotes.com on, you know, a few episodes back, and that was kind of his bold prediction for the year. One of his bold predictions uh, that Donovan Mitchell would end up in the starting lineup by the end of the year. So it'd be fun to see that. The other ones I think about that are kind of maybes, Donovan Mitchell's the one that really stands out to me, but kind of the maybe the guys that can move into the starting lineup. Uh, we kind of talked about Alec Burks, that if he totally gets back to health and Hood struggles, Obviously wouldn't be ideal, but maybe something happens there. You know, maybe Quinn Snyder decides that, you know what, Favors and Gobert aren't as effective together in the starting lineup as I'd like. I'm going to bring Favors off the bench. Um, you know, maybe maybe Exum has a breakout year and he can move into that two spot, kind of like we predicted for, for Mitchell. So, you know, in short, you know, I think that this is kind of what's so intriguing about next season. We've already touched on it, but this team is just so, it's so deep and it's so um, versatile. And there's so many guys that have a chance to step up. Really, you know, the starting lineup and the bench 
um, lineup is all going to depend on who steps up and who makes major strides next year. There's so many guys that really have an opportunity to do that, so I can't wait to see who proves themselves. Yeah, it's going to be a fun season. Yeah. I think our, our depth is the main thing. It's just so many teams when they go from their starters to the bench, the biggest worry is how do I prevent a drop-off? Like if I have a, a 10-point lead early on in the game and then I go to my bench, are they going to break even or are they going to allow the team to creep back into it? And because of our depth, I think we have a great chance of always breaking even when we go to our bench. And it's not just breaking even, having a good advantage over the other team to where we can even increase leads. So I think I'm more overly confident this, in this team than most, and I think our depth is the main reason why. Yeah, I agree. And you know, they changed the timeout rule, so there's going to be less timeouts at the end of games. And I know that Dennis Lindsay kind of talked briefly that you know he's going to capitalize on that with this suffocating defensive lineup that whether the starters or the bench is in there, we're going to be grinding these guys down on defense. We're going to be pushing them at that high altitude in Salt Lake City. And it's going to be, it really is going to be tough for other teams to have their way on us in a lot of ways. So that's going to be cool. Um, I guess kind of wrapping up this point, John, just kind of tell me which lineups are you most intrigued to see next season? Uh, there's a couple, and I, I did write a piece just a couple weeks ago about this, but I think the biggest worry that people have is going to be our offense. Yeah. Um, just how, how are we going to score points? But what was interesting to me is when I was looking over our lineup, there's not really any one person I can point to and say he's a liability on defense. We have such a good defense that we can put our best offensive lineups on the floor and still just play suffocating defense. Like, I mean, the only person I can think of is maybe Jonas Trepko. I'm not sure how good he is on defense. Outside of that, everyone who's going to play quality minutes is going to play terrific defense. So if we can put our best offensive lineups on the floor, I think it will give us a really good advantage. The ones that I'm excited about seeing are kind of not necessarily a small ball lineup, but a smaller lineup that can spread the floor. So Ricky Rubio at the point guard, Rodney Hood at the two, Joe Ingles at the three, Joe Johnson at the four, and then Rudy Gobert at the five. I think that would be a, a tough lineup for people to, to play against and plan against because Gobert is one of the best screen setters in the NBA and Rubio is one of the best point guards of running the pick and roll. So with those two just doing that action and Rodney Hood, Joe Jingles, and Joe Johnson spreading the floor, people can't help on that. So I think it'll put teams in a bind where either they're having to help and we have capable shooters. That we, Rubio is a great passer. He'll find them and they can knock down the three, or they have to stay safe with those shooters. And Rudy Gobert is dominant when he rolls to the rim. He draws so much attention, and he can either finish above the rim, or it's going to create a lane for Rubio to get an easy bucket. Um, other lineups I think would be good. Instead of Rubio, we could slide in Donovan Mitchell, which would be nice because he's a little more athletic. Looks like he could probably finish at the rim better, but it also looks to be a better three-point shooter. Um, and then Johnson and Jarebko at the four, I think he could switch that back and forth. But those offensive lineups are going to be really effective. I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I like the idea of going back to the three-wing lineup that we experimented with a couple years ago, um, where you could just throw Alec Burks. This would be a good way for him to get playing time, but Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, Joe Ingles, and then have Favors and Gobert, where you just overwhelm teams with your size and length. Um, but... Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, and Ingles can all handle the ball. So you don't have to have a true point guard. All of them can handle the ball and distribute. And because of the offense we run, you don't really need a point guard because we just swing the ball around so much. 
Um, I mean, there's some fun ones too. Like I, I talked about it on my my piece, just the international lineup. I think that would just be fun. I mean, it's, I don't know how effective it would be, but I think it would be kind of cool to play guys who are all international. So Ricky Rubio, Dante Exum at the two, Joe Ingles or Seth Lotion at the three. Jonas Drebko at the four, and Rudy Gobert or Udo to play the center. I just I think that would be kind of an interesting fun lineup to watch, and just listing them off, it actually sounds like they'd be fairly effective on the court. So. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I would say um, a lot of those I'm, I'm in agreement with. The one that I'm really excited to see, not even a complete lineup, but I'm excited to see any lineup that has Exum and Mitchell together. I thought they were really fun to watch in the Utah Jazz Summer League. And I don't know how many minutes exactly they'll log with one another, but if they can really build a chemistry, I could see them being one of the more exciting bench duos in the Western Conference. So I'm excited to see those two together. Also, any lineup that has um, Rubio running the point with Favors and Gobert in pick and roll, I think those are going to be fantastic as well. So a lot of fun things that we're going to be able to see next year with the lineups, and I can't wait to see how Quinn Snyder makes it all shake out. He actually has a pretty tough job, if you ask me, because he just has so much to balance and measure with all these good players, but it's going to be awesome to see how he decides to separate those minutes. Yeah, I think if anybody can do it, it's him, though. I've been super impressed by Quinn. Yep, I'm with you there. So, all right, now we want to move on to point number two, where John and I will give our thoughts on the 2017-18 Utah Jazz schedule. Point two. All right, so as I'm sure most of you guys know, um, the NBA teams all released their schedules late on Monday. And so for point number two, uh, John and I wanted to talk a little bit about our impressions of the Utah Jazz 2017-18 schedule. So John, first of all, want to ask you, what were your initial reactions to the Jazz schedule? What stood out to you? What were your first thoughts, I guess? Um, my first thought was there's no real easy stretches for us. It seems like for the most part, we never have that stretch of the season where you can point to and say, okay, that's when we're going to make a run. Um, the other thing along with that, and the reason for that, is the West is going to be really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kind of get an idea of why Gordon Hayward thought he could go to greener pastures in the East, just because if you're in the West, we're so deep. There's 12 teams in the West who are going to be competing for playoff spots. Yeah. And there's really j- only four that I can point to that that don't seem like they're going to make a push to the playoffs. Yeah, and not just and the, the West. But, the, oh, so just real fast. Not just the West, but also the whole Northwest Division, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, really, every team in the Northwest Division has a chance to get the playoffs. Obviously, I think the clear top team is probably going to be OKC, but every other one of those teams is going to be competing for the playoffs. And it's not likely that all of them make it. I think Portland is probably the odd man out when I look at it. Um, but I was just looking at the schedule, and it was just week after week of Western Conference teams that are really good and competitive. So there's going to be no night off for the Jazz. I mean, every game they're going to have to bring it. And I think the nice thing about this team is because of their their great coaching and Quinn and their competitiveness and the defensive culture, I think they can handle it better than another team, but it is going to be really difficult. Yeah, I agree. The one thing I did like about it, the first thing that I kind of noticed was, I don't know if you remember last year's schedule, but last year's schedule was crazy. I think that we started out the year with eight of our first 11 on the road. So I was glad to see that our at least the start of our schedule was a little bit easier in that regard. We kind of ease into things. But even so, I mean, we start out with you know Denver and Minnesota and uh, Oklahoma City right off the bat. So the teams are still tough, but it's nice to have a little bit more of a balance um, and I think the, the Clippers are right after that, so it doesn't. <laughs> it's yeah. so hard. Yeah, it doesn't. But I, I did see. I think I think it's the first 
10 of our first 14 games are going to be at home. So that'll be nice that we can see them early and often. And I, I guess that is the stretch. The start of the season is probably our, our easiest stretch where we can maybe build some momentum. And if we get going early on, hopefully we can carry that into December, which I know you talked about this in your piece. December just looks like it's going to be a rough, rough month. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just crazy how, I mean, we have a six-game road trip in December. Um, we play all these good teams. You know, we play the Warriors. We have the Spurs. Uh, we have the Cavs in that month. Uh, the Celtics as well. That whole month is going to be crazy. And it just kind of goes back to your point that hopefully we can start off good and then we can really build up for December. Um, can you believe that every time we play the Spurs next year, it's on the second night of a back-to-back? That just that That's just blew me away. <laughs> I was. I know. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know if you listened to David Locke, but he wrote about this, and he talks about when you have a rest advantage versus a rest disadvantage. Um, and essentially, that's the case where you're playing a back-to-back against a team who's had days of rest, or you've had one night of rest and they've had three nights of rest. Yeah. More than any other team, we never have the advantage. There is only a couple games throughout the whole season where. And most of them we just break even, but for the majority of the time we're at a disadvantage. Um, so that's going to be difficult. I actually, this this might be fun. I wrote down the teams we're playing from the fourth through New Year's. Okay. Who in this list do you think we are favored to win? So we play Washington at home. Okay. At OKC, Houston at home, at Milwaukee, at Chicago. At Boston, at Cleveland, at Houston, at OKC, home against San Antonio, home against OKC, at Denver, at Golden State, home against Cleveland. Wow. Yeah, the only ones I would say is, you know, we we played really well last year against both Washington and Milwaukee. So I could see us having success against them again. Chicago is going to be bad this year, so I think obviously that one. And then maybe by that point we'll know who's better between us and Denver. But all the rest of those, John, I mean, we're going to have to pull off a lot of upsets to stay afloat in December. That's that's just the fact of the matter. That is just a brutal stretch. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I think, like you said, I think Washington, Milwaukee, and Denver, I mean, they're kind of a wash just depending on the situation. Either team could win on either night. Yep. Chicago's the only clear cut, like, yeah, we should beat that team. But everyone else just, I mean, that's, that's the murderer's row right there. Let's see... If we can come out New Year's and be above 500, I think we'll be in a great situation to make definitely. the playoffs. Yep, I definitely agree. And it's that's going to be hard. On the flip side of that, if we are you know, two, maybe three games under 500 at the end of December, I don't think Jazz fans should give up because I think that we can definitely bounce back from that too. So kind of two different ways to look at that. That December is going to be tough, uh, but for better or for worse, it's not going to be the total defining moment of the season. Yeah, I think it's a big part going to be how well can we start. I mean, if, if our first 21 games are against teams that we're going to have a good chance of winning, um, I, I was looking at Kevin Pelton's win-loss projections, and in our first 21 games, only five of the teams we play are projected to win more games than us. Wow. So the hope is that we can start the season off very strong and head into that stretch with a good amount of confidence and with enough wins that if we struggle a bit during that stretch, we still come out on the other side looking pretty good. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was kind of thinking about, you mentioned that, and 
I feel like last year, obviously there's a few slip ups here and there, there's always going to be, but I feel like last year we did a really good job of beating the teams that you would expect us to beat. So, you know, like the, the Timberwolves, the Suns, like kind of those lower teams that you're like, okay, the Jazz should beat this, this team. I feel like we did a pretty good job of that. Um, whereas two years ago, one of our problems was I feel like we would show up for these big games and play really well, but then we'd go off and lose to the most random of teams. You know, we'd lose to the Nets all of a sudden or lose to some team that you'd expect us to beat. So hopefully we can keep that more from last year where we were beating those teams that, you know, people would expect us to beat. Then if we drop a few to these teams that are probably going to be better than us, we'll still be okay. But if we start, you know, losing these close games and blowing these um, late game situations and things like that, it's really going to come back to haunt us in December and towards the end of the year, I think. Yeah, I mean, we have to beat the teams that we should beat. I mean, we, with this schedule and how good the West is, you can't lose games that you should be favored to win. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of like the way that you did it in your recent piece, though, where you broke up every team in the league, and if we face them four times, realistically, how often should we beat them? Is it 75%? Is it 50%? Um, and then the hope is if it's 50%, maybe somehow you pull off an extra win and you end up being 3-1 to one against that team. But yeah. the nice thing with the Jazz, let's call it the, the Gobert factor, is I think with how competitive he is night in and night out, I think it's infectious to the rest of the team. I think he sets the tone, and if he plays hard like this every single game, even against the teams that are considered lesser than us, I think the rest of the team takes note and follows suit, and hopefully we... We never drop those games that we, we really should win. Yeah, I agree. You know, since we're on the subject already, um, John, what other concerns do you have when you look at the schedule? What are, is there anything else besides what we've already touched on that you feel like is kind of a negative or something you're worried about? Yeah, there's a couple outside of the stretch in December. I think one thing to look at is, so the way they set up the schedule is you play every team in the East two times, every team in the Western Conference four times, Except five teams in the West, you only play three times. So you kind of get a benefit if those five teams in the West that you play three times are better teams. Like let's say you play Golden State only three times, or Houston only three times, or San Antonio. Um, The thing that's kind of rough is four of the teams, or three of the teams that we only play three times are Dallas, the Lakers, and Sacramento. Teams that we absolutely should be. So, I mean, it would have been nice if, if those matchups could have been teams that were better than us and clearly better than us, uh, just to give us some extra wins. Um, the other thing is just the amount of back-to-backs. I mean, the whole point of starting the season earlier was to limit back-to-backs and to eliminate four games in five nights. Um, but we're still playing this year the same amount of back-to-backs as we did last year. We have 16 back-to-backs, which is, I think, tied for most in the NBA. Um, I mean, really, it's just a tough schedule overall. We didn't really get any breaks from the schedulers. But, again, if any team is up for handling this type of schedule, I think the Jazz are a team that can do it. Yeah, no, I agree. And, yeah, the back-to-backs was a little concerning to me. I can't remember, was it is it the same amount or was it one less than last year? I don't remember. But either way, it was still a yeah. lot when it was we thought we were going to get them reduced, you know. And then it's like you said, I mean, we got to play not only the whole Northwest division four times each, but we have to play Golden State, San Antonio and Houston, who are all projected to be the top three teams in the in the West. Excuse me. We have to play them four times as well. So that's just going to be it's going to be tough. I mean, no doubt about it. We kind of got the short end of the stick on the schedule, but it is what it is. You know, we're going to be the kind of team that has the defense where we can beat any team on any given night if the cards, you know, kind of fall in our favor. So I think that's going to be great to see. Yeah, and definitely with the defense, 
like I I was looking at it for last year and last year we allowed 96.8 points a game to our opponents which is the number one ranking defense as far as points allowed per game I think our defense is even better this year I so agree I, if we're, if we're scoring on offense, just over 95 points a game, it's not a lot, but that should be enough with our defense that we can win a lot of these matchups. I mean, I know for the casual fan, it's probably not going to be pretty, but I think it'll get the job done for the Jazz. Yeah, I agree. Uh, with that being said, tell me, what are the matchups? What are the individual games, John, that you're most looking forward to next year? Um. I think the ones I'm most excited about are the teams that we're going to be competing for in the playoffs. Yeah. Like when you look at that 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, like those teams that are in projected to be in that range, I think it's going to be fun to see how we handle them to really get a idea of where we stack up against them. Um, you mentioned it opening night. We play the Denver Nuggets. I think that's going to be a great test right away to see if we're at their level better than them or maybe they've taken a step where they seem like they might be above us. Um, I think that would be a fun game. The Clippers in the first week, it's always fun to play the Clippers and to beat the Clippers. Um, love when we beat the Clippers. Yeah, especially since um, we just played them in the playoffs too. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing is we start off the season the first week and we play at the Clippers. I think it'll be fun to just have that rematch because in the playoffs we beat them, I think, every game on their floor or three out of the four times or something like that. Yeah, three out of the four. Um, uh-huh. we, we have a history of beating them on their floor, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they come out to respond to that and what their fans do. Um, the Pelicans on the 1st of December, I think that's the first time we play them, but the Pelicans are going to be fun because of the Gobert matchup. I love watching Gobert when he's matched up against other big-name bigs because he always just seems to save his best for those games. I agree, yeah. So primarily, like, against Anthony Davis, and I just remember last year against DeMarcus Cousins, just Cousins getting so frustrated because Gobert's length is just impossible to get around, and he would try and bully him, which he can normally do, and he didn't move Gobert, but Gobert's arms are so long that he would still block him anyway. It was just, it was fantastic. Um, so I think that'll be fun to watch as well. Yeah, for sure. Also, I feel like Favors typically matches up pretty well, at least when he was healthy uh, two years ago. He matched up really well against Anthony Davis. So, you know, if we get both our bigs healthy and both of their bigs healthy, that's going to be a fun game. Yeah. That's going to be a battle. That's one I hadn't thought yeah. of, actually. Yeah, we don't see that very often in today's NBA where two teams go head-to-head when they both play a bigger lineup with Favors yep. Gobert and Cousins and Davis. Yeah. So that'll be that'll definitely be a fun one. Definitely. One in November I think should be fun. It has nothing to do with the Western Conference, but we play Philadelphia November 7th. I think the Sixers are just going to be a fun team to watch. If they're healthy, they're just going to be so enjoyable to follow that storyline and see how they can go. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for me, the ones I'm most looking forward to, um, you know, first and foremost, I'm actually looking forward to pretty much all the divisional games. I think a lot of our teams in the division are going to be fun to watch. I'm excited to see how much better Minnesota is. I'm excited to see how much better OKC is with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Um, Denver, obviously. Portland didn't really improve this offseason, but they will have Nurkic for the full year. So just all those teams to me are, are good, and it's going to be fun to see how we match up against all of them. Um, I, I think the obvious one that a lot of Jazz fans have circled on their calendar is when Boston and uh, Gordon Hayward come to Salt Lake in March. Um, but not only am I excited to see Hayward back, I really can't wait to see um, Mitchell and Jason Tatum go at each other again because I feel like you know Mitchell did really well against him defensively in Summer League, and people are going to be interested to see how those two match up again. 
I was looking at that one as well. I wasn't even going to bring it up because I think it's kind of obvious. Yeah, kind of a given. Yeah. That but, um, but that that is another subplot that I didn't even think about. Is I mean, apart from Gordon Hayward, Donovan Mitchell during the summer league just seemed like whenever he was matched up against someone who was drafted before him, it seemed like he went at them with yeah. an extra level of enthusiasm. Um, so that'll be really fun to see. I think that'll be cool. Yep, he kind of has that same chip on the shoulder mentality as Rudy Gobert has. So those two should make for a fun pair. Um, and then the other yeah. ones I'm looking forward to. I mean, obviously Cleveland in Salt Lake City, just to see if we can keep the streak alive. You know, we've beat LeBron and Cleveland yeah. in, in sorry in Salt Lake so many times in a row. Hopefully, we can make it yeah. make it seven. It'll be interesting to see how Cleveland looks at that point. That, that's very Their true. Team will be looking different. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be so interesting to see. Then, of course, the Warriors. I mean, I don't think we're going to be as much of a threat to the Warriors as we hoped we would be last year. But for a long time, we've kind of been heralded as a as kind of a you know a dark horse team that could give them problems. And even though we lose Hayward, we still have a lot of those things, that length, that defense, that grind that could give them problems. So it's going to be fun to see how we just measure up to them, you know, kind of be good measuring stick games to see how far we have to go to be as good as the best in the league. So looking forward to those. Yeah, I do think more than any other team, we can make the Warriors work. They're such a good offensive team, but we have the matchups available to throw everything at them that other teams maybe can't. Uh, every position, like even Kevin Durant, as as great as Kevin Durant is, you're never going to stop him. But with players like Tabo Cephalosha, who's one of the, the best wings as far as like points saved, um, I mean we have some great options to throw at all of their extremely talented offensive players. Yeah, and, and you know one thing that I feel like no one's really brought up that much, Cephalosha was a teammate of Durant's on the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I mean he's going to know him relatively yeah. well. He's going to know how to defend him. That's going to be interesting to see there. Um, so wrapping up this section, after everything we've kind of talked about with the Jazz's schedule, what is your projection for the, the Jazz's win-loss record next year? So I first thought about this a couple weeks ago before they released the schedule. Uh-huh. And my initial, my initial thoughts were about 45 to 46 wins. Okay. I, just, I, I don't feel like we're going to touch where we were last year. Um, the loss of Hayward is just kind of hard to, to make that up. But I kept settling around 45-46. Since the release of the schedule, I'm looking at how difficult it's going to be. Uh, I do think it might be hard to get to that. I kind of dropped this down about two to three games. So I think they'll be about 42-40. and 40. Um, I mean, if they're better than that, I wouldn't be surprised. But I envision us as just slightly above 500 for the season. Yeah. Yeah, my, you know, I've been kind of thinking 44 and 38. When I dove in and looked at the schedule, that was kind of where I landed too. But the more I think about it and the more I talk about it, just looking how deep the Western Conference is and especially some of the back-to-backs we have, I'm right with you. I'm thinking 41, 42, maybe where we land. Um, I still think that's enough to be, you know, maybe seventh in the Western Conference. If we get up to 44, with how much we're going to be beating each other up in the Western Conference, I think we, we could still get to about the sixth seed. But really anywhere between that 41 to 46 wins, that's where I think we're going to land. So going to be, going to be uh, really intriguing and interesting to see how that pans out, I guess. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to remember with the Jazz, and if they end up getting to 46, 47, 48 wins, it's likely going to be because of their defense and how hard they play night in and night out. I mean, we look at the Memphis Grizzlies. They haven't had extremely talented offensive teams in the past, but because they worked harder than teams every single game, they're able to win games that they maybe shouldn't have won. And I think that's where the Jazz are going to be. If they can bring it every night and play su- 
league defense where teams just dread facing us. Um, I do think we have the potential to do even better than that. Um, based on the record, based on like the schedule and just looking at the matchups, though, I think it's more likely that we're about a 500 to slightly above team. Yep, I agree. All right, so with that, I think we've really covered well the Jazz's schedule for next season. Let's move on now to point number three. Point three. All right, now for our third and final point. Uh, John and I want to talk a little bit about which player we think is going to have the most surprising breakout in 2017-18. So, John, hit me with it. Who do you think of the Jazz roster? Who are we going to see have the biggest leap or the biggest breakout this season? Uh, so the player who takes the biggest leap, I think it will be Dante Exum. Um, he showed me more in the summer league that made me optimistic. Um, I know we heard reports that at the end of the season, he had his exit interview and they really challenged him to show improvement and get better and come into next season being a changed player, a better player. Um, I mean, we picked him number five overall. We drafted him high with hopes that he would become our starting point guard and the leader of this team. Um, the biggest thing, though, and what's hard for Jazz fans to remember is he's never really had a full off season to try and improve. He's dealt with injuries, international play, um, and when he was a rookie, he got a lot of playing time, and then he went into the offseason, went straight to playing for the Australian team, and then he tore his ACL. So he didn't have that time to really work on his game and get where we wanted him to be. And then he came back last year, and most ACL tears take 12 months just to get back playing, but 16 to 18 months to be fully recovered and back where you are. Um, and he, he showed that post-All-Star break. He started showing improvement, and especially in the playoffs against the Warriors, I was really impressed with the way he played. And then just heading into the short, I mean, he only had a month, month and a half from the end of the season to when we saw him in the summer league, and he already looked like he had put in work to get better. And now for the, the rest of the offseason, I think he's going to come back and be a much more effective player. Um, another reasoning for that is this is his contract year. He's at the end of his rookie deal, and it's going to be a big test for him to see if we resign him for a good amount of money to be the future starting point guard of this team, or if he's going to get a smaller contract, whether here or somewhere else. So I expect Dante Exum to take a jump. Um, he's probably only going to get about 20 minutes, and in those 20 minutes, what I want to see is if he can have averages of about 10 points, three rebounds, three assists, and maybe steal a game. Um, what I really want to see from him, though, is outside of just the numbers, are going to be his decision-making and his shot-making ability. The thing that has frustrated me with Dante Exum is really two things. One, he just cannot hit pull-up jump shot off the dribble. I mean, he just can't do it. And in today's NBA, as a point guard, you need to be able to do that. You need that in your arsenal. Um, people can't always know you're only going to shoot a spot of three or you're going to go all the way. Like, you need to have the threat of being able to pull up. And he showed that in summer league. He actually a couple times pulled up off the dribble, going around the screen and, and knocked down some shots. Um, the other thing is just too often I see him get into the lane, jump up, not knowing what he's doing. Like, he thinks there's a pass. Like, he gets to the basket, but then he doesn't try and score, so he'll jump up the pass, not knowing who he's going to pass to, and then it's a turnover. Um, he needs to improve his decision-making. He needs to know where he's going with the ball at all times and whether he's going to finish at the basket or have a pass in mind before he leaves his feet. Um, if he could develop that Steve Nash kind of keep your dribble alive and if the 
Lance not there, just dribble around um, and see what you can find. But I think he's capable of it. I, I haven't lost faith in Dante Exum that he can he can be the player that we hoped he would be when he was drafted number five overall. Yeah, I agree. I think you bring up a lot of good points there that we all know how much he does have to improve, but um, Summer League was a great bright point for him, and we've heard good things, so I'm excited to see him as well. Um, my player that I've kind of predicted and will have a breakout for the Jazz, I actually went with Ricky Rubio. Uh, there's a lot of guys you consider, but I think a lot like George Hill kind of had a, a career year with the Jazz. I think that Rubio is going to come in and fit really well in the system. I think the Jazz are going to help him be successful. I think with two very, very good bigs at the pick and roll and Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, I think that they're going to play really well and they're going to make Rubio look good as well. I think he's going to fit culturally. Just There's a lot of things in place that I think will help Rubio to really um, to really step up and be that kind of guy. The others that I think feel like are worth mentioning, you touched on Exum. I think Rodney Hood, I mean, it's not a matter of will he or won't he. It really is a matter that he has to. If the Jazz are going to be good, we got to have Rodney Hood step up. I do think Gobert is going to get better. And I think that, you know, Mitchell, let's let him get a year under his belt before we're saying he's making a, a big leap or a big breakthrough. Let's let him get through his rookie season. But I think we could see him make big strides throughout the year as well. Uh, well, I like the point on Rubio. I think the thing that people forget about him, looking at his teams in Minnesota, like, he's never been on a team that was capable of making the playoffs. I mean, maybe last year, like they underperformed and could have done it. Yeah. Uh, but he's never really been on good teams, and it's hard to evaluate a player when he's not playing on good teams. He also struggled a lot with injuries early on in his career, so maybe that stunted a little bit of his development. And now that he's been healthy the last couple of years, we hope that he can be better. Um, I do think he has a lot of potential. He showed me a lot post-All-Star break last year where he actually started shooting the ball better as well. He shot the three-point percentage at a higher rate. Um, so I do think he's a good option. Um, the other player I, I had was Derek Favors. I think Favors is going to be a lot better. I think we forget how good Derek Favors was. Yep. Um, if, if we go three years ago, two years in a row, he averaged 16 points, eight rebounds, a block and a half a game, and about a steal a game. Um, and heading into last season, um, I know ESPN does their annual like rankings of the players. I think they ranked him at like number 38. I mean, he was considered a top 40 player. And when you looked at um, projections for the next year, people thought Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors were potentially going to make this leap and become all-stars and raise the Jazz to another level. Obviously, Gordon Hayward did, and Derek Favors didn't, but he he didn't make the leap not because of his play, but because of his injuries. And if he can get healthy, I think he can make the leap that we all thought he was going to. Um, I don't necessarily think he's a 20-a-night scorer a game. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to put up a 20-10, especially with Gobert next to him. Um, but I think it's really realistic to think that he can get back to at just 16-8 and eight again. He can get back to 16 points, 8 rebounds, a steal and a half, uh, I'm mean, sorry, a block and a half and a steal, and also play great perimeter defense, I think the Jazz will be in a great position if he can get to that. But I also think he's capable of doing even better. I think he could put up an 18-9 if he really has put in work this offseason to do it, uh, which everything I've seen indicates that he's finally healthy and he's getting a full offseason to really work on his game. So I I'm super excited to see Favors next year. And if he can stay healthy... I think he becomes our second-best player next to Rudy Gobert. Yeah, that actually is a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you. I mean, 
Do you think that, that Favors is going to be our new number two? I mean, I think we know that Rudy Gobert is our top player, but who do you kind of have pinned as who's going to be our number two next year? Or who who has to develop to be that number two? you think it's Favors or you think it's somebody else? Um, I guess it depends on your question. Just overall, like our best player, like when evaluating offense and defense, I think Derek Favors is going to be our second best player. I think that would be great for our team. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're just looking offensively and who should be like our second option, um, I think it's probably Rodney Hood. Uh, Rodney Hood is the most equipped player on our team to be a primary focus on offense, to be a 20-point-a-night scorer. Um, I mean, Gobert, Gobert is an amazing player, and he's a very effective offensive player. Um, all the analytics point to that, and he's extremely efficient. But you can't go to Gobert and say, hey, score 20 points a night. It's just not his game. And he's very efficient offensively, and then he's elite defensively. Um, to carry the offensive load, though, I think Rodney Hood has the best chance of doing that. Um, and I actually think there's, there's really three things I'd like to see from Rodney Hood. Um, that would help him get there. I think the first is just his level of aggressiveness. Um, I felt like with Rotten, not with Rodney, <laughs> with Gordon Hayward next to him, it often seemed like he was passive. He would kind of fade into the background and not be very aggressive. Um, with Gordon Hayward gone, I would love to see him look to take over more and to be more aggressive offensively and to say, hey, I'm our best offensive player. Give me the ball and get out of the way. Um, I would love to see him do that. I don't know if he has that level of confidence, but if he can do that, I think he can be a very effective player. And Gordon Hayward last year averaged 16 shots a game, and Rodney Hood averaged 11 shots a game. Gordon Hayward's gone. Someone has to take those 16 shots. Someone has to fill that void. And I think if you give Rodney Hood an additional five shots a game, where he already scored, what, I think it was 13 points a game last year, it's conceivable that if he makes half those additional six shots he's getting, that he could jump up to 19, 20 points a game. I think the other area that he needs to work on is his free throws. Um, he took two free throws a game last year on average. Wow. Yeah. That's just not enough. No. Like, if you're going to be our lead offensive player, like look at all the elite scorers in the NBA. Every one of them probably averages five-plus free throws a game. And that's an easy way to get more points and an efficient way to get more points. Uh, and he, he shows that he's capable of getting into the lane. It's just normally he gets into the lane and kind of shies away from contact. Um, I mean, we remember what happened with Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward was the same way. But then when he was asked to be our primary option, he rebuilt his body and got bigger and stronger so that he could be more aggressive. And I, I hope Rodney Hood is putting in the work this offseason to get bigger and stronger so that he can get into the lane and get more free throws, be more aggressive, and carry that offensive load. Yeah, a lot of good points there. I actually had Derek Favors and Rodney Hood down as kind of my two guys that have to step up and be that number two option, or I guess in a scoring case, you know, number one option if Hood can get to that point. And it's just like you said, I mean, Favors was a 16-8 and eight guy for two straight years. Back in 15-16, Rodney Hood was putting up, you know, 14.5 points per game. I think if either of them can just improve on that a little bit, it's going to be huge for the Jazz. The other one, you know, my guy that I predicted to have a breakout um, with Rubio – you know, I don't think he's going to go on to be, you know, our leading scorer or anything like that. But I do think that if, if things come together for him and he reaches the ceiling, I could see him being a 14 to 15 point 10 assist guy per game. And I realize the Jazz play at a slower pace. And so maybe getting that volume of assists may be tough. Um, but I really think he can do it. 
And I hope that Rubio can go on to really establish himself as the point guard for the Jazz. You know, it's been such a long time since we've had a guy that we can say, yep, that's our point guard. Uh, we thought we kind of had it yeah. with George Hill, but he was so injured that we didn't. And really since Darren Williams, we haven't had that kind of guy. So maybe Rubio won't be, you know, our number two option by any means. But if he can even just solidify himself as the guy, the point guard that's going to run our offense and make everybody, you know, better, not just this year, but beyond that, it'd be great if we can finally get our next solid point guard. So a lot of things there to look yeah. for. I think as, as Jazz fans, we're always looking for that next John Stockton. And really, Ricky Rubio is probably the closest person we've had to him. I mean, he's, he's a pure point guard who isn't really worried about scoring. It's, the scoring you get from Ricky Rubio is just I, it's just a cherry on top. But you don't really need it. Um, because he's just so effective in moving the ball and creating shots for others. Um, I think that's the biggest strength. that people look at him, and his the, the most points he's ever scored in his career on average, is 11.1, and that was last season. Yep. He, he's not a guy who can score, but you're right. If he can get to 13, 14 points and keep his assist up to 9, 10 a game, it's going to help our offense so much. And that, where that's our biggest worry, and the biggest worry about the Jazz is how are they going to score points? How are they going to manufacture 96 to 100 points a game so that their defense can win games? Uh, I think the biggest way we're going to do it is on turnovers. I think that's the thing that's not being looked at enough when you look at the acquisitions we got. Last year, we only averaged, as a team, six steals a game. That was second last in the NBA. We played solid lockdown defense, but we did not force turnovers. We forced teams into bad shots and then just got the rebounds. Because of the people we picked up, Cephalosha, he averaged 1.6 a game last season. Ricky Rubio averaged... 1.7 1.7 before his career has averaged two plus steals a game. Hopefully, we're scoring points next year because we're creating more turnovers, and Ricky Rubio is one of the best fast break running point guards in the league, and we're getting more easy transition buckets. Um, I would also love to see us push the ball more off of defensive rebounds. Like, Gobert gets a rebound, goes to Ricky Rubio, and then he pushes the ball up, and maybe we can get some more easy buckets. Um, my guess is Quinn Snyder has already I don't think they just brought Ricky Rubio in to have him more into the way we were playing last year I think Quinn Snyder is going to change things up just a little bit um, to add some more options for Ricky Rubio to play to his strengths and with that, I think our offense is going to be better than people expect I, mean, I, don't, I don't think we're a top offensive team in the league but last year I think we were the number 12 offense um, I still think we can be middle of the pack 15 and then defensively, if we're a top three defense, most teams who have top five defense in the league and are middle of the pack offensive-wise, they make the playoffs. So I, I think it's a really realistic thought that the Jazz should be able to make the playoffs if they have a mediocre offense, just kind of middle of the road, and they're elite defense. It's not a stretch to think that they could be a six seed. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like that. I think you really hit the nail on the head. and. I agree that, you know, part of our offensive strategy really should be, you know, turning defense into offense. We have the guys to do it. We have guys, you know, not only Rubio, but you got Mitchell and Exum that can get out and run. And we have to be smart about it because we're not a team that's going to be a run and gun team, but we do have some more personnel to take advantage of some transition opportunities and steals when it's there. So that's a great point. Yeah. There's actually a it's a bit off topic but it kind of touches on a point we were talking about earlier just intriguing lineups that we could throw out there um, I was reading a book called The Book of Basketball it's by Bill Simmons 
shameless plug for Bill Simmons. It's a great book. <laughs> um, one of the things one of the things he talked about was just he ranks the players in order from like ninety six to one, but then he forms just the perfect team. Like if if Martians came down from outer space and said, "Okay, we're going to play you in a five game series." Get your best basketball team together. If you can beat us in a five-game series, what players historically are we putting on that team? Um, but he, he created a lineup where we could just press and do a full-court press for like four minutes a game. And I was actually thinking about that with the Jazz. If we could throw out Dante Exum, Donovan Mitchell, Pablo Cephalosha, and just say, hey, for the next four minutes, I just want you to full-court press this team and make their life crack, force turnovers and get easy buckets, and just wear them down defensively. I think that's our best chance of winning, is our defense is so good that we wear teams down, and their offense suffers because, not just because we have good defense, but because they're tired, and it throws their shot off, and they're forcing quicker shots that they normally wouldn't take because they finally have a moment of error, so they just force up a shot because they're open. Um, it's just it's going to be hard. It's going to be fun to watch. I, I don't think I've ever been as excited as I am to watch a team's defense, not their offense. Yeah, that's a great point. I think you pretty much said this, but just another way to put it, you know, we want to make teams become sloppy on offense. You know, if we're getting teams frustrated and sloppy and rushing and all that, that's going to be best case scenario. So I'm right there with you, John. You know, it's kind of funny. We know we're probably not going to be as good this year as last year. But in a lot of ways, I think we could be more fun. I'm excited to see the team and excited to see, you know, kind of what their new identity is and how they look. So it's going to be awesome. But Yeah, it really will. And I mean, just because we're not as good as we were last year, that doesn't mean there's not hope for the future. Like, I look at Dante Exum and Donovan Mitchell and say, man, a year or two down the road, if those two really develop, we could have a great, great basketball team. Exactly. And we're set up good for the future financially and lots of things to look forward to. This is going to be kind of a transition year, but definitely not going to be a down year by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah. But with that, John, I think we'll wrap up there. Uh, thank you so much for joining the show tonight. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So all the listeners out there, make sure you follow John on Twitter. Um, his Twitter handle is just at KieferJohn. That's K-E-E-F-F-E-R-J-O-H-N. Also, make sure you're following uh, the J Notes Twitter, which is just at the J Notes. Uh, follow Three Point Threat Podcast. That's just at Three P Threat Podcast. And also, if you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Twitter so you don't miss out on an episode. So, John, once again, thank you. And until next time, everybody, so long.